So, you know that I watch movies. I don't know if you think that's good or not, but um, one, I'm not sure I want to know. Um, but one of my favorite Marvel movies is The Black Panther. Um, it's got a great plot. It has meaning for human beings. Uh, like, there's, there's kind of deep meaning in behind the plot, and it's just... Uh, great special effects. It's fantastic. Uh, but you don't have to care about the movie, uh, but I am going to talk a little bit about what the plot as it unfolds. Um, so early in the movie, we are reminded uh, that King T'Chaka has died. And so his son, Prince T'Challa, is now the king. Uh, but because of this transition of power, uh, so they live in this imaginary country in Africa, Wakanda, and there are five tribes that make up Wakanda. And because of this transition in power, anyone from any of those five tribes can challenge that Prince T'Challa should not actually be king. And so uh, there's this uh, one tribe, the Baku, who's like most removed and isolated, but they think, hey, this is a great time. And so uh, the leader of their tribe decides to fight T'Challa to see who will really be king. And for a little while, uh, so T'Challa needs to be stripped of his powers. He can't have the extra power of Black Panther. He has to fight just as a human being, human being to human being. And for a while, it's not going very well. And we see his mom and his sister in the crowd, and actually we... The film shows it from T'Challa's perspective as he's hanging upside down, and this is what we see. But his mom yells, show them who you are. And after that, he still gets beat up a little bit, but then it, it turns the corner because he finds in himself the strength to demonstrate what he was called to be. And so in the end, he gets the, the Black Panther necklace, and he gets to remain king, and it's all beautiful. But as we continue our journey through this book of Hebrews, and we look at this short passage, Hebrews 12, 12 through 17 this morning, in some ways, it, this six verses stick out like a sore thumb a little bit. It's just like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a very different thing than what we were just reading. But in the context of this whole letter, and in the context of the message of Scripture, there's deep and powerful meaning. As the writer of the Hebrews continues to challenge us, encourage us, remind us to remember who we are as God's people. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we thank you again for your word. We thank you for... Uh, just the treasure of music and the opportunities that we've had to hear the choir and to sing alongside them in these great hymns of faith. And as we turn our attention to your word now, Lord, we pray that you would help us hear in it your voice. We pray that you would help us discern the truth of what you want us to know and apply in our own lives. We pray that you would anchor us in who you are and who you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Oh, before we get there, some reminders. <laughs> it's a good thing I make slides because I need those reminders too. Um, so as we enter into these uh, six verses, like I said, um, they sound and feel a little bit different than where we've come from and where we're headed. But it's important that we remember kind of some context from this book of Hebrews, this letter that we've been studying for a long time and even what we heard last week. The letter is written to people who are pilgrims, who are living in Babylon in a place that they don't belong on the journey to where their home is. We, as God's people, are pilgrims. We're living and enduring, we're experiencing this pilgrimage from a place that we started to, to finally end up in the place where God has called us and invited us to be in his presence, to be in glory with him. And on that journey, we endure a lot of hardship. We're refined and we're challenged, we're stretched and we grow. And God is using our pilgrimage to prepare us for this time when we will ultimately meet him and experience him in the fullness of his glory. And along the way, discipline is essential for pilgrims. So we experience that. We experience that stretching, that challenge, that correction along the way. And also, uh, when we face hardship, as we talked about last week, it's easy for us to feel like we're alone or being ignored. But the message of Hebrews reminds us again and again that Jesus is greater than every trouble we face, greater than every hero we've followed. He's greater than all things and all people. And he is with us all the time. And so last week we heard that we were encouraged to experience hardship as discipline. And part of what that means is when we start to question, is it worth the cost? Are we, why is God doing this to me? Why am I out here all alone calling for help? We're supposed to remember that as children of God, he's with us all the time. And everything we face is something that he wants to use in our lives. It's not necessarily something he caused, like he just went, I want you to experience something really terrible right now. But in the midst of it, whatever it is, whether it's discipline for something we've done specifically or just hardship we're facing because there's evil and brokenness in the world and in our lives, God is with us. And he can stretch and refine us. He can redeem the moment. And he will be with us and carry us through as we trust in him. With those reminders then, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, 
who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So as we try to understand this passage, we're going to focus on these six verses, but we're also going to get a little glimpse into where we're going to go next week. As we hear this call to strengthen our feeble arms and weak knees, we know that the writer is encouraging us to not lose heart. This image of feeble arms and weak knees is an image of, like, Intense discouragement. So as the writer is reflecting on uh, the journey of these people and all the hardships that they face as they uh, endure persecution, as they wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus in this broken world, the writer of the Hebrews says it's worth the cost. As you face discouragement, just stay the course because God is with you and it's, it's worth everything it takes to get to the end of this journey. In verse 13, the writer says, make level paths for your feet. And we're reminded as we're challenged to not lose heart, to stay the course, we're reminded that it takes intentionality and determination. We've, we've heard all these allusions to athletic competition throughout the letter. We are in the Colosseum. We are fighting for our lives, and it's a fight that matters. And in order to be prepared for this, for this fight that we're facing right now, the battle that's coming around the corner that we don't know exactly how to anticipate, it takes intentionality. We have to plan for it. If we just wander through the woods, we don't know where we're going to get, where we'll, where we'll end up. But instead, we want to mark our path. We want to follow where God leads. And in order to do that, we need to invest time in his word. We need to spend time talking with him in prayer, being honest about our struggle and also hearing his word repeated back by the Spirit so that we know who we are and what he's calling us to. We need to do this with other people, with this cloud of witnesses that have gone before us to know that we're not alone, that we don't face this hardship and this trouble alone. It's, and we're not the first ones to endure it. And so it takes intentionality. It takes encouragement. It takes locking arms with one another so that we can care for each other and receive care from each other. Do not lose heart, but continue. The writer says to make every effort to live in peace with everyone, to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now we know that our holiness will never measure up to what it requires in order to be with the Lord. Our only hope is the righteousness and holiness of Jesus.
But God has called us along this journey to make every effort to live in peace with everyone. We've heard this. uh, It's almost an exact quote of what we hear in Romans. It's not the first time in Scripture we've been encouraged to live this way. But as God's people, we want to be instruments of His grace and mercy. And certainly, we are called by His people. We want to be holy. We, we want to be people of truth. We want to be intentional in the way that we live. And we want to entrust ourselves and our decisions and our attitudes to the Lord. And invite Him to shape us, to guide us, to lead us. But as we do that, we also want to be honest with the people around us. We don't want to sit in the seat of the judge because that seat does not belong to us. We want to do whatever is possible to live at peace with all people. We want to be gracious, merciful people. We want to speak the truth but invite them to find hope in Jesus. We want to encourage them. We want to walk alongside them even in their brokenness, even in the mud, the muck, in the mire that they sometimes get stuck in. And we don't want to respond to them in their bitterness and their anger with the same tools that they give us. We want to respond with the tools God equips us with. As God pours his love and mercy into us, we want to give that back to them even when they don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it when we got it from the Lord. Stay the course. Don't lose heart. And then we get to this strange part in the text where we start talking about Esau. And the writer says, don't be like Esau. Don't trade ultimate things for a quick fix. And so we remember from Genesis when we learned about this story about Esau and Jacob. It's really the first thing that we learn about Esau. We find out that they were born, and then suddenly they're adults, and they have this experience. And one day, Esau was working hard. And Jacob was cooking this wonderful meal. And so Esau comes in from a long day of work. He's famished, exhausted. And he says, Jacob, can I have some of your stew? And Jacob, being the I'm looking for a more positive word, but all I can come up with is conniving. Um, uh, He's shrewd. Maybe that's slightly more positive. Um, He says, I'll give you some stew if you sell me your inheritance. And Esau, overwhelmed by his hunger, says, I'm dying. What good is my inheritance? Give me some of that stew. And for a bowl of stew, he trades his inheritance to his brother. The writer of the Hebrews is reflecting on this experience of Esau and helping us see that this is how temptation comes to us. The things that feel that we can, that we can experience through our senses, the things of earth, can sometimes feel so overwhelming. We just, we need that in order to feel good. We need it in order to feel better. We need it for whatever reason. 
to make us feel hopeful, to escape how hard it feels. And the writer of the Hebrews says, every time, look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the beginner and perfecter of your faith. Because these instant gratification desires are just deception. So it says, like Esau, later in his life, he came back and he said, let's pretend I never did that. And he was even crying. He was sad about it. And the writer of the Hebrews says, even Esau's tears could not change what he had done. Now it's important for us to remember in the whole context of Scripture, what is God's message to us? We are in trouble, we are separated from him, and it's God's desire to adopt us, to break through the brokenness, restore us, redeem us through Jesus' death and resurrection, that we would be children of God and be not apart from God, but be with him. We know that we can't fix that problem on our own, we're dependent on God. And that God loves us so much that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So this painting of Esau is not meant to say, if you make this bad decision right now, you're reprobate and there's nothing God will ever do to help you after this. What the writer of the Hebrews wants us to remember is we're challenged and encouraged to stay the course is that every decision matters. Every decision has consequences. And while God can redeem the moment and redeem us, he can't free us from the consequences of every decision that we make. He won't do it. The consequences are are just part of how he's created the world. And so we want to be very careful to in that moment of need, in desperation, and the author even uses sexual impurity as an example. Because it's this obvious example of how this quick fix, how this earthly desire could just be satisfied and seem so good for us. But the consequences to our relationships, to our future are dramatic And the guilt remains. We can't undo that. Sometimes it's as simple as uh, in a, a weak moment, we have this idea of some snide little thing we can say as we're in conversation, maybe an argument with someone we care about. Or maybe it's something even at work. And we have this thought, oh, wouldn't that be an artful thing to say right now? And our filter's not working so well, and we just let it out, and then as we hear it, we think, oh, what an artfully horrible thing to say right now. And we can't take it back. We can't cause the people to unhear it. It has impact. We can be forgiven. We might be able to work through it. But that decision in our weakness to go for the quick fix instead of to being the person who seeks peace 
has consequences. So the writer of the Hebrews says, don't lose heart. Stay the course. But know that this journey as pilgrims through Babylon is hard work. You're going to be worn out and you're going to be tempted to just latch on to the things that you can see and feel and hear and touch and know that they taste good. But don't trade the ultimate things for a quick fix because the earthly things don't last. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the beginner and perfecter. Because he's the one you want to trust. And he'll help you sort out the details and know what you should choose. So we want to stay the course. And we don't want to be like Esau. In order to understand more of what this message is telling us, we're going to get a little glimpse uh, into what's coming next week. As the writer talks about these two mountains. And the writer's goal here in giving us these quick instructions of how to stay the course and what it means is to help us remember who we are. It's our mom calling out in the crowd saying, show them who you are. Remember. Remember who God is, what he's done. Remember where he's at, that he's working in your life. Stay close to him. And so we remember, so the author is going to talk about two mountains. One from our past. One that's physical. We can touch it. It's the memory of it is filled with sensual memory. These sounds of trumpets. The smells of sacrifices. But it's a mountain of fear. Where we are overwhelmed by the presence of God. Where we heard him speak. And it was terrifying. The writer of the Hebrews is actually going to remind us that Moses himself was scared. This mountain of fear is Mount Sinai. But the writer is going to talk about another mountain. A mountain that is yet invisible. A mountain we only know and experience by faith. It's called Mount Zion. It's surrounded by angels, filled with the glory and wonder of who God is. And what we're encouraged to recognize, and the way the writer is going to draw us in through this picture of this other mountain, is to remind us that Mount Zion, this yet elusive, yet almost imaginary mountain, is our home. It's the end of our pilgrimage. It's the finish line. It's what we're headed toward. It's what we've been made for, what we've been called to. And these two mountains remind us of other things that the writer has reminded us of again and again. That without Jesus, all we have is the mountain of fear. 
sin will destroy us. We are in trouble. But Jesus has come and he's endured our death, our sin, so that we would be set free. And as we trust in him, we are no longer defined by this mountain of the past, but instead by a mountain that we have yet to see. And we are remade as the children of God so that our home is a place that we don't remember. But this beautiful, awesome place filled with God, his presence, all the wonder of his beauty and creativity, angels surround this mountain, and it's where we belong. So the writer wants to remind us again of this important warning. That we live in Babylon and Babylon is not made for us. It doesn't encourage us to become who we were meant to be. It doesn't encourage us to find God in the midst of it. In fact, it's encouraging us, challenging us, tempting us to just love Babylon and be destroyed along with it. But God has come. And he's broken through. And this journey of pilgrimage is arduous and hard. But as we experience it, we experience more and more of God's love for us. His grace for us. His presence with us, and he's preparing us to experience the wonder of Mount Zion with him. So the writer of the Hebrews says, stay the course. Don't lose heart. Don't be overwhelmed by the things right in front of you and think that they're more important, more urgent, more real than the mountain of faith that you haven't yet seen that you don't know the sounds or smells of, but it's more real, more eternal, more steady, more true than all the deception of Babylon. And in Jesus, it's your home. So as you fight the battle, as you continue the pilgrimage, remember who you are. You are not the child of Sinai, living in fear and desperation. You are the child who belongs in Mount Zion. And your father can carry you through. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we admit that life is hard. It comes with great blessings and it's such a gift. But it's hard. As we pray, even in this moment, our, our minds and our hearts are flooded with all kinds of practical implications of this challenge to stay the course and to trust you above the things right in front of us. To trust you with the things right in front of us and put them in proper perspective. So we pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, 
Because you know we can't do this on our own. Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. But Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us up. We pray that you would give us faith to fix our eyes on Jesus. To trust you and your truth when it seems so much harder than what's right in front of us. We don't want to trade your blessing for something that's just going to leave us guilty and broken. So we pray that you would help us not lose heart. We pray that you would remind us who we are. We pray that you would anchor us in the truth and the promise of Mount Zion. The finish line. The experience that we've been called to, that we imagine, but is so real. Walk with us and bring us home to be with you. In Jesus' name.